Peace, peace, everyone. It's your girl, Sequoia Blue. We're back in here for another episode. And we have a special guest in here today. We have Steve Fredlund. And he is... Steve Fredlund is a sought-after innovator engaged to solve the most complex problems. His insights have powered hundreds of breakthroughs in corporations, nonprofits, and small businesses. Hey! So how, <laughs> so how did you get into this sector of small businesses and, and leadership. How did you get involved with that? Yeah, so I was in the corporate world. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Sequoia. It's nice to meet you and it's fun to be able to share with your your folks out there. But I was in the corporate world for many, many years. So I'm I'm an analytical guy. I'm an actuary by trade. So I did that for a number of different years, um, you know, at different different Fortune fortune 500 companies, that kind of thing. And then, uh, but I always had a passion for helping our communities become more vibrant. How do we do that through our nonprofits? How do we help small businesses? And ultimately, about three and a half years ago, I left the corporate world with the goal of doing that, with trying to help our communities become more vibrant. And I think my role in that is to work with the smallest, I call I call it small, small business uh, intentionally, to work with the smallest small businesses, to work with the, the entrepreneurs, the mom and pop shops, the small nonprofits, the folks that are usually just kind of getting the leftover support, you know, for lack of a better term. Um, and so trying to give them a level of support that they really need to, to get through, get to breakthrough. So that's been my journey, just sort of from the corporate world to working with the smallest businesses. That's a blessing because as an entrepreneur, it's it's tough out here and we don't know where to start. Like, do we go to venture capitalists? Do we bootstrap? What do we do? And I think a lot of people could use the guidance of someone that has experience with that. So this is awesome. Yeah, I think, um, I think what happens is, and it's, you know, there's a lot of free services out there to help, you know, really small businesses and entrepreneurs and that sort of thing. And they're good hearted people that are really trying hard, but they don't have the same level of experience that some of us do. And so that's really, you know, sort of the mandate that I gave myself is how can I give them a level of support that's usually only reserved for the bigger businesses. And so myself and all the people that are in my network, you know, that's our commitment is to help people like you, people like me that are just kind of starting out that need a little bit more than just kind of the, the YouTube sort of help that you, you sometimes get. Yeah, because I've been on the YouTube train and I've seen others and it's like you get caught up. You're like, oh, got to do NFTs now. They said NFTs. They got to do crypto now because they say crypto. And it's like they really want to do a business but don't know where to go. And it's kind of just scattered information. So, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, and so I want to talk about leadership. What what causes leaders to be happy? Because I noticed I'm in corporate, too. I, I work. Um, I'm an application engineer here today, uh, creative at night. And I'm curious, like. What makes a leader happy? Because a lot of times this leadership can be micromanaging. They're angry all the time. They're trying to figure out what you're doing wrong, trying to watch you. Like, how can you, how can a leader just be happy and enjoy their work? Yeah, I think I think it's one of the things that is really unfortunate for a lot of years is this idea of work-life balance, which I understand the idea of it. And ba- But basically what happens is, you know, they say, okay, well, it's okay if you work really hard and you're really miserable. As long as you balance it and the rest of your life is really good, and so we sort of accept the fact that work is going to be terrible and we're going to be miserable. And, and as leaders, it's going to be yucky, you know. But as long as we only work 40 or 50, 50 hours a week and we go home to our family and we rest and we have fun on the weekends, it's okay. And I think that's done such a disservice to people. I think ultimately where happiness resides is when things are how we want them to be. 
like think about anything you're happy about. Like it's very, it sounds very basic, but it's, it's very fundamental. Like we're happy when things are how we want them to be. And we're unhappy when things aren't how we want them to be. Like, it's very obvious, like, you know, if there's an illness, well, that's because, you know, we're unhappy because things aren't how we want them to be. And same way with happiness. And so I think what happens is when we talk about happiness, we want to increase happiness. It's important because the happier people are, the more engaged they are, the more productive they are, the more, you know, they stick around. So it's a huge business thing. But when we talk about happiness to leaders or we talk about happiness to employees, it's like, here's a, here's a top seven list of things that you need to do to be happy. And the problem is that doesn't fit everybody. Right. For some people that works like here's your list, you know, have a gratitude journal, uh, call three friends, do this. And for some people that works great, but for a lot of people, it doesn't. And then what happens is if it doesn't work for you, you feel like you're doing something wrong. Am I incapable of being happy? And so it does more damage than good. And so ultimately, I think what makes us happy is when we really understand who we are and we make decisions that are lined up with that. And so in leadership, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for for leaders to really understand who they really are, how they're wired. So they're not just doing things the way that people have always done them or the way they should do that, should do that, or what people are expecting of it, because that's what makes us miserable is when we're doing things that aren't, isn't really lined up with who we really are. At least that's, that's my story. And as I've talked to other people, as I've researched this, that really is the crux of a lot of our unhappiness is when we're doing things in a way that isn't congruent with who we really are. Yeah, I totally agree with that because, you know, if you notice the great resignation where people are just quitting their jobs left and right, you know, right now in the U.S. and even overseas too. And it's just, I think it's because during the pandemic, they realized, wait a minute, I'm not happy. I'm working three jobs and doing this and that. And they're like, they're like, wait a minute, I got to change this. And they're just, they just quit now. They're just, they're just saying, you know what, I forget the American dream. I saw a lot of that on YouTube. People were saying, I don't, I forget the American dream. I left the American dream. I'm like, whoa, this is, now everybody's doing a, a video on this. And I'm just like, I think it's because they just got tired of being unhappy and only, you know, having a phone on the weekends and stuff like that. And, you know, I just think a good work like balance. I think we people should work three days a week, honestly, so we can live because just work living on the weekends because it's not enough time that's where it comes into like you know how are you specifically wired like somebody like me right or wrong i'm wired i want to be busy i want to be working like but i want to be doing things that i really enjoy doing you know i want to be solving problems i don't want to work 80 hours a week in a job i hate but if i'm working 80 hours a week doing things like i'm doing now i love it and so it is, you know, which is better, you know, I'd rather work 80 hours of something I love than to work 40 hours of something I hate. And so you really, that's not true for everybody. That's true for me. And I think that's the, the crux of it is really understanding, like for you, if like you, if what would make you happy is working three days a week and then having five where you're doing other things, like that's great. That's amazing. But that's, you know, I think we hear that and you tell that story and then everybody thinks, oh, that should be my story. It shouldn't be your story. Everybody needs to figure that out for themselves. And I think that's, what's really lacking in our culture is people just really being self-aware of, of what they want. We just, we, we read a book about somebody else, what they're doing, and we think, okay, I'm going to do that. And then we spend five, yeah. 10 years doing that, and we realize we're still unhappy, and we think, what's wrong with me? Well, nothing's wrong with you other than you're not clear on who you really are as an individual. And I think that's something people really struggle with, is that self-reflection and having somebody to help you really clarify who really are you? What do you really want to do? Where are you trying to go? How do you want to get there? Who do you want to get there with? Like, these are critical questions that we just don't pay any attention to. And then we make decisions and we just end up totally misaligned from who we really are. Yes, I totally agree on that one. Because 
I mean, my goal is eventually to be a full-time entrepreneur. I want to do podcasting. I want to bring people on, inspire the world, um, do music and things like that. And there's some people that just say, hey, I want to be a nine to five. That's all I want to do. And that's fine too. They might want some extra time off, you know, more vacation time. But I think that it should be offered in the corporate sector. And hopefully in the future, it can get there. Maybe after we're long gone, but in the future, I think it could get there because I think it will help employees, employers, uh, employees work better. I think it will help them work better and be happier. Well, that's the whole Um, engagement thing. Like that's my message to leaders is that if, if we can figure out a way to create a culture that where people can be happier on the job, now, that doesn't mean that you, they don't need to produce, they don't need to do all the things that they need to do, but helping people understand who they really are and then helping tweak the job a little bit just so it's using their strengths more, that it's using their personality more, that you're not putting people like me who's an introvert in a room with a bunch of extroverts. You know what I mean? Like, that's terrible. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. right? I am an introvert, believe it or not. Yeah. I know people I are always surprised. <laughs> people are always surprised when podcasters and speakers like me and you are are introverted, but most of us are. That's, that's been my experience, um, is, is yes. that we really are. We love people, we love hanging out, but we need to, our energy gets drained really fast. Man, yes, it is. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, I'm just like, that's so true. Um, so here, what, what do you mean by default-driven leadership? What's default-driven leadership mean? Yeah, part of that is what I talked about earlier with the fact that we don't, really know ourselves and we don't really intentionally make decisions that are lined up with who we are. And so default driven leadership is really about making decisions by default, meaning so many of our decisions are so casual. Like we just, we do things because that's the way they've always been done. Like that's the default, right? Okay. So, you know, and we think it's less risky, right? So I'm a new manager and I do things a certain way. And somebody says, why are you doing it that way? Well, that's the way that Jill always did it before. Well, that's, that's managing by default. Because what happens then is if something goes wrong, I can say, well, it's really Jill's fault because I just, I'm just i doing things the way that she always did them. Versus if I try something new and it doesn't work, then it's my fault. And so I think we we sort of risk manage our way by just, just by doing things by default. But in general, that's how we live our life so many times is that we just do things the way that we, you know, that they should be done. Like, so default means do things the way they've always been done. I think another way we're casual with our decisions is just that we do what we should do right? Like, uh, you know, well, I should go to school. I should take this job. I should get married. I should have a child. I should, you know, go to this conference. I should do this. And we kind of, we allow ourselves to get should on all the time. You know, I mean, right. Either by others or by ourselves, we should, 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 should. And so we're doing things that aren't really aligned up with who we are because it's what we should do, or it's what we think people expect of us to do. So we have to do that. Right. Well, my mom expects me to do this. My spouse expects me to do this. And and so we, we don't really make our own intentional decisions. We're living some somebody else's life and part of that is living life by default which is just doing things what we've inherited like you know we inherit so many things we you know the our our family is inherited right they're sort of the default people that are that are in our life and some decisions are are default they're just sort of there we just inherit them and when i'm talking to audiences a lot of times i'll I'll ask the question about um you know how did you decide what toothpaste you're going to use you know, I mean, how many of us have actually looked at all the studies and find out which one's most effective or done like a taste test, right? Where you have, you put down your Crest and your AIM and your Pepsodent and your Sensodyne and your Colgate and you test which one you see. Like nobody does that, right? No, nobody really does it. We, we use the toothpaste that we grew up with or that we, you know, married into or something like that. And that's a default decision, right? And it's just kind of a fun one, but that's how we, that's how we make bigger decisions in our life 
as well. And there's so many examples of this that I think is just sort of embedded in who we are as humans, whether it's genetic or societal. Like you think about organ donation. And I think about the countries where organ donation is, you know, where the default is you're not an organ donor, but you have to opt in, like the United States. It's like 10 or 20% of those countries that people are organ donors. Well, there's other countries where the default is you are an organ donor and you have to opt out. Well, it's like 90 to 95% of people there are organ donors. And when you think about it, it's the same logical decision, right? Do I want to donate my organs or not? But we tend to just choose what the default is. I don't want to go against what everybody else is doing. Even in a big decision like that, we don't. And I think that's just human nature. And so I think we lead the same way. We just, lead, you know, it's too too risky or it's too hard to, to make intentional decisions. But that's where happiness is. Happiness is in the result of those hard decisions when we're intentional about aligning those with who we are and how we want to lead. Yeah, I totally agree on that. I'm like, if you want to go and live in a tiny house on the beach and live minimum income, that's okay. Yeah. You don't have to be an engineer at this store, be a lawyer here. And I think I had to learn that a few years ago. And I tell other people, you cannot, because you're going to just be unhappy. You're going to be a rich person crying somewhere or, you know, yeah. or even not make as much money as you thought as that lawyer or whatever. So it's like, you might as well just do what you want to do. So. I totally agree on that one. Yeah, and that's, um, that's, a form of, that's the form of default is that though we read about somebody being a minimalist and going down that road and we think, oh, I should do that. I should do that. So you go do that and you're, it's not how you're actually wired because you don't know yourself well enough to know. You're, so we spend our whole life just chasing, oh, I'm going to try that. Oh, I'm going to try that. Oh, I'm going to try that. Instead of really doing the hard work of saying, what do I really want out of my life? What really yeah, is my I- personality? And that's, and that's what I want people to take away from this um, show today is figure out what you really want because people say, Sequoia, just do cover me songs. You, get, you just got to do cover. I don't want to do cover songs. You know, I don't want to <laughs> what I want to do. I'm not trying to be a famous person. I just want to do my music a few thousand years. That's great. Do my music and movies and TV shows. And I think there's this, this success, idea of success people have that you should have is a certain type of artist or even um, corporate ladder. And it's just like, Oh, why can't my success be my success? What if yeah. I'm successful now? What if I'm successful because I published the song and it's out there? Like, what if that person's successful because they went on ahead and got a job at law firm? Maybe they didn't become the top lawyer. It's just different. And I think once people get that, the world will be a lot better. Unless angry people online, keyboard gangsters and stuff, getting on people and stuff, they would just be happier and have a good life at home and a good relationship with their family because it all leaks into your family mm-hmm. all the all the upsetness and all that stuff it just leaks in even subconsciously even if you're not an argumentative person it just it just leaks in so i i totally agree with that i mean Absolutely. And I think that's a form of default too, is letting others define our success, which sounds like you're saying, you're not going to define my success. You might, you might think success is doing cover songs and doing this and doing that. But even if I did those things, that wouldn't make me happy. What my success is, is making me happy because you're grounded enough to know who you are and what you really want. And that can change over time, but I think that's good for you. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's sort of the message is define your own success, know yourself and define your own success. And it sounds easier than it is. Sometimes that's hard work for people. Um, But once you get there, there's so much freedom in it. And you start to realize that you actually have more control over your life and your happiness than you ever realized. And I say this as a person that for 49 years, I didn't really realize this. It's just been the last three or four years where I've started to discover I have more control over how I want to live my life and my happiness and what I, how I define success than I ever realized before. So I wish I would have known this. I wish I could talk to 25-year-old Steve, but I can't. You know, all I can do is from this point forward. 
and that, and, and, and thanks, good for, thanks for saying that because people be like, oh, I'm 50 now or 60, it's done. No, you can start where you are, people. If you are 40, 50, 60, and you just realize it, start where you are Yep. because you still got time. So yeah, that was a good You might have regret, you know, over the prior 20 or 30 years, but don't have regret over the prior 50 if that's your situation. You know, yeah. start now. And I think I can, I can attest to that. Like it's so much, it's so life-giving to start thinking this way now. Um, and, and living life that way. Yeah, it's just it's just more fun. Um, and then, what do you mean by the right peeps in our Jeep? <laughs> yeah, so that's actually, uh, I, I've done a couple of TED Talks, and that was the first TED Talk I did was, was called The Right Peeps in Your Jeep and Right Peeps in Our Jeep. Um, and it's really, I did it about the power of shared passion, but it's it starts with a story from Africa. So I've had an opportunity to do a lot of humanitarian work in Rwanda, Africa, and uh, we'd, we'd go for, I'd always lead the team and we'd go for a week or two. And then at the end of every trip, we'd spend a couple of days on safari, which is a whole nother story. But it was just the idea of kind of decompressing from what you saw for the prior week and building up your team and all those things. But we'd go on safari. And on one of those safaris, I realized, boy, it's so important when you're on safari uh, to have the right peeps in your Jeep, um, to have the people that are with you that, you know, we went to, we were in Akagera National Park in Eastern Rwanda, and they had just reintroduced lions for the first time since the genocide in 1994. So this hugely historic moment. And there was a gal with me in, in that Jeep that understood the magnitude of that of that moment. And it was so great to have her with so that we could kind of share the significance when we saw the lion being one of the first few people to have ever seen a lion after they were reintroduced. It was sort of this this whole moment of, of history where, you know, sort of it's a you know post-genocide. It was one of these one of these symptoms that they're recovering, that things are on the way back and all that kind of stuff. So um, I, I use that as an analogy now when you're going through life, you're going through work, you're going through your play, your nonprofit work, whatever it might be, how important it is to have the right peeps in your Jeep. Uh, so be in the right Jeep, be in the right seat, have the right peeps around you. And that's huge. And I think one of the things I realized is that we actually have more control over that than we realize. I think a lot of us just sort of say, well, these are the people in my life. But, you know, some people have to be in your life or whatever, but you can kind of change where they're sitting in your Jeep. They don't have to sit right next to you. You're right. You can move them off to the edge or you can look around the periphery and say, hey, get in my Jeep. Come sit closer to me. I want to spend more time with you. And, and I think as you start realizing that, you realize you have more control over that. Man, life is so much better when you're when you're going Man. through when you're going through, you know, uh, you know, wherever you are uh, in life and you have the right people with you. Yes, I totally agree. I mean, the, you know, the old saying, the five people you hang around with, you become. But the five people you hang out with determines who you have in your, in your Jeep, like you said. Yeah. Because depending on what's going on, if, if the wrong people are in that Jeep, uh, it, it can sink it yeah, okay. down to well, for sure. the sand. For sure. Like at the same time, we had one guy in our Jeep who was, you know, he was texting his wife, well, we're looking for lions. And that's fine. He, whatever, he had a moment he wanted to share with his wife. But we're like, we're all looking for lions. And he's on his phone looking down at the phone. We're like, dude, you're missing out and we need your eyes. We're, we're looking, we need everybody to be looking, you know. And, and so, you know, that was sort of like the the thing that I could look at and say, boy, I, we need less of him and more of this gal over here uh, in, the, yeah. in that moment, you know. So, yeah. yeah, it's life is so much better when you can surround yourself with the right people. And I think, you know, it takes, again, it takes that self-awareness and then it takes intentionality. Uh, I went through a phase, you know, I talked about this a little bit too, where I went through a phase of, I just wasn't laughing. I didn't realize I wasn't really laughing, but I went years without really like laughing. I love practical jokes. I love belly laughs. I love screwing around, but I just really didn't have the people around me that pulled that out of me. And I kind of just gone into the corporate world and that sort of thing. And then I started realizing this 
and I uh, reached out to my wife's cousin husband who like I only saw him on like family holidays things like a couple times a year but he always made me laugh whenever I'd see him and I just reached out out of the blue and I said all right dude I want to go out to lunch with you and he's like are you asking me out on a date I said yeah that's exactly what I'm doing and we went we just had a blast and he just made me laugh and I think that took intentionality maybe took sort of even you know uh being a little bit weird about it you know kind of like hey i know this is kind of weird uh but just being humble about it and i think as i've pursued the right people uh that's come back to me in happiness yes i totally agree i'm i'm on that mission now it's like now i got a good circle around and it makes everything better yeah so i totally agree that people get the right people in your circle yeah, and then the real key about that is it's not, when I say the right peeps too, it doesn't necessarily mean like the other people are bad. They might be. No. Some people are bad. I mean, right? Some people are just terrible people. Uh, but yes. but but for the most part, it doesn't mean that they're the wrong, they're bad people. It just means they're the wrong people for you, for your, that Jeep. If, you know, you've kind of got the work Jeep and the family Jeep and the, you know, the friends Jeep and all that kind of stuff. You just, it's about getting the right people that are a good fit for you more so than it's about them being the wrong people. Yeah, and also it's, it's good to realize when you outgrow people. Sometimes yep. it's just you outgrow that that uh that vibration with that person. It just it's just and you have to realize that and say, you know what, I still love this person, I'm still cool with this person, but we're just not the same anymore and I gotta go in this direction. Yeah. It's not that they're a bad person, it's just it's just that person might be in a fear based frequency right. and, and I might be in I'm done being, being scared, I'm gonna just go grab everything I can grab. Yeah. And it, you know, wanna get down to that frequency if you're talking to that person all the time. But if you, you know, keep, like you said, keep track of them, be cool with them and support them, but not have them in your immediate Jeep every, every month talking to them, because then you're going to get fearful and you're not going to want to be like, why am I scared? I was like that. Yeah. I was breaking just a minute ago, you know? So yeah, I like that. Yeah. Just like being, that. being intentional and then even having those conversations. Like I've, I've actually had those kind of conversations with somebody where I've said, here's the deal. I think you're a great person, but it's just, we're just not, a, it's just not a good fit because it was like, I've had these experiences where people would ask me to go, you know, hang out with them, have lunch with them or go whatever, go, do whatever. And like, because I'm an introvert and because I don't want to talk over somebody, like I'll just let them talk. And like, they talked the entire time. Like I'd literally say like two words for like an hour and a half. And then afterwards they'd be like, Oh man, that was so much fun. We got to do this again. And I'd be like, well, of course it was fun. You just talked about yourself for an hour and a half and I, you didn't seem to care at all who I was or what I was interested in or what I was doing. And of course, I'm, I'm a good listener and I'm not going to butt in. So they think it's amazing, but inside I'm just like dying. And so I've had that conversation with people like, here's the deal. Um, I just need to be in relationships where, where it's more um, mutual. And, and at this point, it just, it just wasn't. And it was, those are hard conversations. But then, then I can stop making excuses when they ask me to go to lunch again. You know, because they ask you, and then I'm constantly being, well, I'm busy that day, maybe another day, and I'm putting them off, and it's just this gross way to live. And once I have that conversation, I'm just like, they just don't ask me, you know, because they know, you know, but I think I'm also doing them a favor by telling them, here's why I don't want to go out again, hang out with you again, because you just talk the whole time. You know, and I think they should be aware of that, and they should own that. And if they don't, then it's their problem. But if nobody ever tells them, then it's kind of my fault. Yeah, that's true. And that's good that you can speak up. Yeah, it's good to tell people. A lot of people just talk about people and don't tell them. Just yeah. tell them what the problem is and move on. Yeah. I totally agree on that. Yeah. Um, oh, have you have you always been a happy leader? That's, that's just a great question because, um, you know, every leader is not happy. So have you always been a happy leader? No. 
<laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's gone through seasons. And this is why I'm on this big quest to figure out what is the crux of happiness and how can I help people be happier? Like if I was always perfectly happy, like I probably wouldn't be talking about this because I would just think, well, you should just naturally be happy. It's just like if you never have a, a child that's a problem, you'd think you're the world's greatest parent, you know, that kind of thing. And so, no, I've gone through seasons where I've been very happy. And then like, um, you know, kind of my, my talk that I do now, a lot of it is I, I start off with this time about 15 years ago where I was just in, on the Stone Arch Bridge in Minneapolis and I was just miserable. I would spend all my lunch hours walking across the bridge, just miserable but I had no right to be, in my opinion. Like I just got a promotion, my relationship with my family, my, my wife, my kids was all great. On paper, my life was absolutely perfect, but I was just dying inside. I was just miserable and I didn't really know why. And then then I felt like I had no right to be miserable because my gosh, I'm a middle-class white male in the United States with a great job and a great family. What right do I have to say that I'm unhappy? And that made it even worse because then I felt really bad, but I felt even worse about myself. And so I was in a really tough spot there. And that's when I, I reached out to a mentor of mine. He kind of helped me walk through and understand what was going on in my world there. But no, that was a really dark season. I've had a couple of those kind of dark seasons where I'm not clinically depressed, you know, even though that is a real issue that a lot of people deal with, you know, depression and anxiety. That wasn't my situation. It wasn't a chemical thing or whatever, but, um, but I was miserable as a leader and that was that was a tough time. And I, I talked about being in the good life trap. Like my life was really good, but I was trapped in it and feeling miserable. Yeah. Yes. And I think you have to understand that because people look at someone else's life like, oh, they're so perfect. Yeah. They still have any problems. You, know, you don't know what that person's going through. You don't know. You have no idea. Because and that's how people would, have, people would have looked at me that way because I wasn't letting anybody know that I was miserable. Right, because that would be showing weakness. You shouldn't show weakness. And so my family, my friends, everybody thought I was just man. He is just crushing life. And you know, by that version of success, I was. But if you measure success by happiness, I was. Whew, I was in poverty. Wow. Yeah. yeah, and that's one thing people have to really learn because they still don't know that to this day. Even though there's so many stories and everything, like you know what happened to Will Smith and Smacking yeah. Chris Rock. I mean, I hate to bring that up, but it just it just one of those, it's an example of someone that's just up there, you know, one of the best actors I've known, and mm-hmm. he's hurting inside, and he's boiling, and it just came out, and it was already in there deep. It wasn't just when Chris said that at that moment, yeah. but it was already boiling inside. So. Every, everybody has a story, and it's, it's part of why I love, like, podcasting and that sort of stuff. You get to hear people's story, uh, especially yeah. when you hear people that you're like, wow, I thought they were perfect. Well, everybody's kind of struggling with stuff. Some people aren't. Maybe they're not. And that's great. Good for them. But I'd say most of us have some area of our life where we're like, it's just not clicking. But I wish, really wish it would be. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a work in progress. That's yeah. all it is. Um, and what do you mean when you tell when you tell your audiences you are not a ball? Oh, <laughs> but you are not a ball. Yeah. So, so that is this idea of living life by default or leading by default where... You know, there, the whole uh, Isaac Newton, an object in motion tends to stay at motion. An object at rest tends to stay at rest uh, unless there's some outside force. And so like a tennis ball, you can take a tennis ball, which I've got one right here to remind me that I'm not a ball. Uh, you know, <laughs> tennis ball, you know, if I just set this down, it's just going to stay there literally forever unless some outside force comes. Like if, if I move it or somebody moves it or the wind blows or the house burns down or whatever it might be, that, that ball is just going to stay there. And it, it requires an outside force to move it. 
you know, so I can pick it up, I can bounce it, I can throw it, I can roll it, but eventually it's just going to settle into a place and it's going to sit there until somebody else comes along and does something. And the reality is we're not a ball. Like that's the good news. We have, we can actually start, stop, change directions without some outside force. We have that internal agency to actually do those things, to change our life, to live the kind of life that we want. We don't have to wait for some outside force to come in and to move us. And I think a lot of us live our lives like we're a ball. Like we're just sort of going through the motions day after day, just hoping uh, that something comes along and changes the, our course. You know, we're unhappy, but man, I, I, I hope I, I hope something changes. And I tell people that, you know, hope is a very powerful thing, right? I mean, you know, the hope can be very powerful. Like I hope for things for my wife, for my kids, for my family, for my friends. I hope for the people of Ukraine. I hope for all of these things. Like I have so much hope and that can be really powerful. And I think it's gotten a lot of people through a lot of really dark days, but hope is not a strategy. No, it's not. You know, hope is great. I mean, I hope things happen for good as well, but that's not a strategy. That's not going to increase the chances of that thing happening. If you want to live the kind of life that you want, just sitting there and hoping it could happen, right? Things do happen and there's positive variance in this world. That's part of the human experience, but you're not increasing the chances that you're going to have the kind of life you want. And so don't sit there like a ball waiting for something to happen in your life. Take the steps that you need to take, which starts with knowing who you are, and then figuring out what you want out of life, where you want to go, and then start taking some steps in that direction, surrounding yourself with the right people. And that's how you start getting the life that you really want. Not just sitting there and sitting on a shelf or sitting on the floor waiting for some outside wind to blow you. Yeah, that's what a lot of people are doing. They're trying to pray, they're just they manifest, they're, it's just like there's no action behind it. And yeah. Pray, but move along with the prayer. Well, right. And that's why I don't want to diminish the fact of, of you know, of prayer and of, of hoping yeah. and that sort of thing. And I think, you know, many people believe that prayer can actually change action. And that's beautiful. And that's wonderful. And I hope that's true and all of that. But I found that the people that are living their best life are the ones that have actually intentionally taken steps in that direction and intentionally kind of said no to things that most of the world would say yes to and said yes to the things that most of the world would say no to in pursuit of their best life. And then you know, bring along the other stuff with that. That's great. Yes, I totally agree. I like that. That was good advice. Yeah. Um, then I have a question about uh, small businesses. So people that are start, starting small businesses, what type of advice would you give them? Like, what, which direction can you push them? Let's say they can't afford a culture. Yeah. Therapist. Yeah, I would say it starts with the same thing that we've been talking about now is just deep, deep clarity on what you're trying to do with your business. I think it's, it's interesting as I work with small businesses, I ask them, so why did you start a business? A lot of them don't really know the answer even to that. Um, you know, well, my parents had a business, so I thought that'd be the way to go. Or, you know, I hated having a boss, and so I thought I'd start my own business. Or I was always good at roofing houses, so I thought, well, I'm going to start my own business. Well, those could all be okay, but what are you really trying to do with your business? I think most people don't really know why they're in business or what they're really trying to do. Um, because they, they, they just sort of grab hold of what other, what other people are doing. And so like, I'll say like, you know, what's your real goal with your business? And a lot of people really don't know what that is. And they're like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, do you just want, do you want to make a whole bunch of money? Yeah. Do you want to have a bunch of free time? Yeah. Do you want to leave an asset to your kids? Yeah. And there's all these things. Well, a lot of those are like competing things. Like you can't, those are all different sort of goals. Like having a whole bunch of free time is different than, you know, making a million dollars. Now it could work out that way, but typically those are different. Like, are you really trying to get to some sort of balance in your life where, okay, I want to make, you know, boy, I want to make $70,000 and that's it. The rest of then I want to make it $70,000 on as few hours as possible. 
so that I can have as much free time? Or do you want to say, I want to make as much money as I can in 50 hours? Do you want to, do you want to build it up so you have employees or does that make you cringe? Like you need to think about that. Like what kind of a business model are you going to create? Because some models are set up where you're going to reproduce and replicate yourself. And then you manage people to do that. Well, that's one skill set versus other people are terrible at managing like me. I need to set up a system where it can be reproducible without, without people. Like I don't want people, people are messy. (laughs) You know, I like people, but I don't want to have people working for me. And so I think um, a long answer to a short question, but really just clarity, clarity, clarity. What are you trying to do? Where are you trying to go? What does success look like? All of those things that, that you read about, but people don't really take the time to do that. So I think that really is step one. If you're just getting started, really figure that out. You know, picture yourself in five or 10 years as a success. You know, what does that look like? And really maybe even surround yourself with the right people to ask you that question. Really, you know, okay, if I ask you, okay, where do you want to be in, in 10 years, Sequoia? And you're like, man, I want to be making a million dollars a year and, and laying on the beach. Well, now ask people around you, say, here's what I think my my vision of success is, is in 10 years. Ask the people that know you the best and say, be honest with me. Is this really what you see my version of success is? And they might say, yeah, that is it. That is what I know that's what you want and you would be so happy. Or they might say, mm, I don't think that would make you happy. I think you should rethink about that. And so really get clear on what you're trying to do because that's not just, again, that's not hope, right? I mean, that's not, hope is not a strategy. So, you know, if you're not going to start a business, then hope that you make a million dollars and sit on the beach. There's strategy behind that. There's ways to get to whatever your goals are, but you first yeah. need to know what your goals are. So that's number one is clarity. And then it's a matter of building your product or your services, your business model, so that it goes toward that goal. Um, because there's a lot of different ways that you can do business. And I think some people just just grab hold of a model that they've seen done before and it leads them in a direction that's not toward their ultimate goals. So I would say clarity yeah. on what you want to do. I like that. That was a great response, man. That was like deep to the core versus just the material things everybody keeps talking about. Right. It's very fundamental to, to who you are. I think knowing yourself and knowing what you want to do. The beauty of owning a, a small business, being an entrepreneur, is that you can actually sort of direct that. Right. You can move it in the direction that you want. If you want to be, a, you know, in five years, you want to be a minimalist, live in your van, sell everything, but have enough money to live on. That's that's great. But that's going to be a very yeah. different business model. than you're saying, yeah. you know, I want to build an asset that's worth a whole bunch that I can leave as a legacy to my children and to start creating scholarships for my community. That's a totally different. They're both valid. They're both valid, but you're going to, you know, but they have to be congruent to who you are. And that's going to radically change how you actually do your business. I totally agree on that. Man, that was some awesome advice. I love that. <laughs> Easier said than done, but I think that's critical. I think you do that hard work on the front end, then then frankly, a lot of the other decisions that you have in your business just fall out of that. If you can keep that in mind, you say, okay, my vision is to whatever, make $70,000 working 10 hours a week. Now, when, you, when you're up against a decision, when somebody says, hey, do you want to come into business with me and do this thing? I'm doing this thing. You might, you might say, no, that doesn't fit that model because I'm trying to work less hours and build this up. Or, you know, it makes you realize that I'm going to build something that creates passive income rather than something that I have to be present on all the time. So maybe you move away from, you know, doing coaching to creating e-courses, you know, that kind of thing. So once you kind of really know what you're trying to do, and then you're intentional about making decisions lined up to that, it makes the rest of your decisions a bit easier. Yeah, I agree. And it's, and it's pretty much the same model for nonprofits, right? For someone that wants to start a nonprofit, I mean, you have to be the same way. Like, do you want to be a small nonprofit or a big nonprofit? Because, you know, 
you know, me and my mom are talking about starting a nonprofit for women so they can get the proper um, items they need, mm. um, you know, um, being in a shelter and stuff. We're like, okay, I want to do this because of passion. I, I'm a, you know, I was, I'm a woman and a lot of us go through stuff. My mom was going through stuff and I said, I want to start, I want to start a nonprofit for that. And mm-hmm. that's the, where that passion comes around, you know. Now, am I going to be a millionaire? I don't know, but it's that, that passion to be able to have time to see them because I do want to mentor a younger me, you know, uh, and, and help her avoid the stuff I went through. So I would like to have that time and that's where it becomes like, okay, well, I need time. I need to do it full time so I can be able to go and mentor these young girls. Because mm-hmm. right now, you know, if you have a full job, full-time job, this for anybody trying to try and start a nonprofit and you want to mentor somebody or go and talk to them, you're not going to have as much time. Yeah, and I've, really I've done that. I've walked, you know, where I've had a full-time job and running a nonprofit and it's it's exhausting. And I think, yeah, it's, it's the same idea where what what does the vision of success look like? Is it you know, when you picture that, is it going to be you mentoring everybody? Or are you going to somehow figure out a way to mentor one or two people that then they now are working full time mentoring? Like, what is that? What does that look like? And what's actually being delivered? And I think, you know, some of the real honest conversations around, well, is somebody already doing this? Like, I think this isn't in your case, I don't think. But like, you know, sometimes I ask people like they want to open a food shelf. And I and I, I start talking to them and I realize you know, they, they're not really trying to maximize the dollar for the money that's coming in. They're trying to put their name on something because there's already four food shelves in that community. Like just partner with them and help raise money for that food shelf. If you're really concerned about feeding the homeless, do that. Like that's a, that has more impact, but they're, they were driven by wanting to leave a legacy and putting their name on something. And I'm not saying that's even wrong, but they have to recognize that, that this is going to be less efficient, less effective use of their dollars than just working with somebody that's already doing this. And so I think th- those are the kind of questions that you just have to really be able to answer. But I think with, with nonprofits specifically, I think there's a couple of interesting things. Um, one is I'm, I'm convinced that like the best corporate leaders in the future are going to come out of the nonprofit space because right now, you know, in the corporate world, you can lead uh, a number of different ways, but you have the people's paycheck, their bonus, whatever kind of hanging over the hat. So people have to perform, right? I can hang that over your head. I can say, well, hey, you know, if you do well, you're going to get a, a pay raise. If you don't, you're not. And maybe you even get fired. And, you know, there's kind of this this management tool that we can use around people's paycheck. In the nonprofit world, we don't usually have that because most of our staff is volunteers. And so we have to lead with vision, right? We, you know, in the corporate world, people are buying products, right? They're buying life insurance. They're buying something that money's coming in. In the nonprofit world, a lot of times it's donations. So people aren't going to give hours. They're not going to give money unless they really are drawn into the vision. And so nonprofit leaders that are effective are the ones that can really cast a clear and compelling vision, get ownership, get engagement, get people behind the mission of the organization. In the corporate world, you don't have to do that. But that's why I think as we go forward, as more and more people have options to work outside of the corporate world, you know, now people can have jobs doing anything. They don't necessarily have to be in the corporate world. Well, now you're going to have these leaders are going to have to get better at actually casting a clear and compelling vision and getting people engaged with the mission of the organization. And I think for too long, a lot of leaders haven't had to do that. They can use the old the old club technique. Um, those days are gone. I think people are like, screw this. I'm out of here. I'm going to go, you know, my, my daughter spent the last four years. Um, she put herself through college doing, uh, Instagram, uh, repurposing, like she'd buy thrift clothes and then sell them. Like that was her job. Yeah. People don't need to work in the corporate world anymore. And so if the leaders and the managers are trying to, you know, manage with an iron fist, 
people are going to get sick of that and they're going to go do their own thing. So I think, anyway, my, my point was like nonprofit leaders have to have an extra level of understanding of vision and being able to really uh, rally people around that vision. Um, and I think that's really important. If you're going to be a nonprofit leader today, that's critical because you're, you're not going to have the funds and the manpower that you can just hire. Yeah, I totally agree on that. Um, that was that was a great response. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and before we before we wrap it up, I just want to know uh, what is a quote or saying that you go by. Say that again. What what? I want to know what is a quote or saying that you go by. Oh man, I would say if you know, I would. You're putting me on the spot, which is good. I would say what I love is um, from Alice in Wonderland, Lewis Carroll. Uh, there's this great exchange between uh, Alice and the Cheshire Cat, and it's paraphrased uh, where the cat just says, "If you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there." And I and I think that's so good. It's a whole exchange that they have a, a whole dialogue. But at the end of the day, it's if if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. So. You know, if you're just living life and you really don't have a direction, you don't really have a place you're trying to get to, you don't really have the kind of life that you're trying to live or the business you want to have or the nonprofit you want to lead, if you don't really have a vision of that, you're just taking some random road and you might get there. You might get there on some sort of meandering path that gets you there like me uh, 30 years after you should get there, or you may never get there, or maybe you'll get lucky and get there. But most of the time, you're going to end up just somewhere else and you're going to wake up one day going, how did I get here? I, You know, what I really wanted was over there but you didn't take the road that goes there. <laughs> you know, I mean, if, if, if you want to go to, you know, go to Mordor or whatever the, you know, the, the Lord of the Rings is, you have to take the road that goes to Mordor. You know, if you want to go yeah. to the Shire, you got to take the road that goes to the Shire. If you're just walking around wherever, then you're going to end up just wherever. So, so I would say that's, that's it. And that's all about sort of that intentionality of knowing yourself, knowing what you want out of life and then going after it. That was such a great quote. <laughs> Isn't that great? Um, yeah, the, the yeah. exchange is so good, kind of the back and forth. But just, I love that paraphrase of just, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Yeah. Um, and also, do you have any upcoming shows or anything that people can come in and buy your tickets so they can see you speak and any coaching courses you have? Or I appreciate that. Yeah, I've got I've got a number of speaking engagements, but they're private. They're just sort of private events for companies or associations, uh, that sort of thing. I say, if you want to connect with me, I'd say go to go to stevefredland.com. Uh, my information is out there. Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm putting more and more information out there. That's a great way to connect out there. And then I have my my business is small small business. And I've got like a 30-minute free consultation link out there. So if any of your folks are, are listening to this and going, man, I just, I'm thinking about starting a business. I'm doing whatever. Man, just let me serve you in that way, especially, you know, small the small, small businesses, right? Like you're starting a small nonprofit. I, I just think that the small businesses are the lifeblood of our communities. I, I think our communities become more vibrant when the people that live there, work there, play there, eat there, run businesses there. When they're successful, I think our communities become more successful. And so that's really my mandate is to help you. So if that's kind of your your thing or you're thinking about starting a business, man, let's just jump on jump on a 30-minute call. Let me serve you in that way. Uh, and that'd be a great way to connect. But otherwise, I think LinkedIn is probably probably the best way. Yeah, I love LinkedIn. Y'all are, if anybody's trying to knock the door, I've had so many people that don't know what LinkedIn is. I know, I know. <laughs> And I've had, I've had so many social media accounts all over the place, and I've just decided over the last couple of weeks that I'm going to focus there. And so I'm going to start putting out more regular content out there, not as a, like a big sales pitch, but just as a way to sort of invest in small businesses and nonprofits and you know anything that I can share that I that I stumble upon to share there. So that's going to be where I'm going to be more active going forward. And that's a great place. Please, everybody, join LinkedIn if you're trying to start. This is the place to be for 
Well, I think so too. I think, and if you're a small business owner, I know there's people like me, and I know I'm, I'm not alone. When I have an opportunity to do business with somebody, I do my research, and I'll go look on LinkedIn. And if you don't even have a LinkedIn site, you know it doesn't necessarily mean we won't do anything. But it's harder for me to find find you credible as a business owner because you're not out there connecting with other business owners. You're not learning from each other. You're not reading articles that are coming through there. Now you might be, but you know that's sort of my initial impression is when I go there. If, if you don't have a LinkedIn presence, I kind of go. Hmm. Are they are they credible? And so it's a, I would say it's it's a challenge to those of you who are out there starting businesses to maybe think about uh, increasing your your presence out there. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. All right, all right. Any last words before we uh, close off the show? This is fun. I, I have so many questions for you. I'm used to being on the other side of the mic. I like to ask the questions, so it's kind of weird to have to be the one uh, providing some answers. But I want to hear more of your story. But we don't have time for that now. But uh, we'll do that for the next show because we'll another love- time that would that would be fun. No, I would say just what we've already talked about, man, just really figure out who you are, what you want under your business, your nonprofit, and then be intentional and just go after it. Um, and who cares what people think? And that's something that it took me 50 years to actually internalize because I'm a people pleaser by nature. So I think once you can get to that point to kind of overcome that and say, this, you know, this is your life, listener. This is your life. It's not Sequoia's life. It's not Steve's life. This is your life. You're the only one that gets to live it own it control it you know be in charge of it yes you're not a ball you're not a ball (laughs) love it so thanks everyone for tuning in and um, be blessed be safe out there please subscribe please check out steve fredlin's website and check it out and get out get a linkedin profile and be safe out there folks peace 